For today's episode of the podcast, we have Wendy Lawson as our guest. After a 20-year career promoting concerts and other lives events from Las Vegas to Florida, certified marketing coach Wendy Lawson traded her backstage pass for flip-flops to focus on coaching full-time. In her four years as a marketing coach, she has helped thousands of women effectively utilize key marketing strategies to grow their businesses. Known for her relatability, bestie real talk where she calls it like she sees it, and her humorous approach to teaching, Wendy has been a guest trainer and keynote speaker for multiple direct sales brands. She and her husband live in Florida with the Three Stooges, Chocolate Lab Mo, and Cats Larry and Curly. She is powered by Cold Brew Coffee, Gifts, and Pearl Jam. Hi there, I'm Isabel Cateman and I run Stripe Dog Creative, a website strategy and design firm dedicated to helping service-based entrepreneurs create strategic and elegant websites so they can attract their dream clients, raise their prices, and scale their businesses. I'm so excited to have you here for the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast. Tune in each week to hear practical business advice, tips on embracing and learning from failure, trust me, it's going to happen, and real talk on trying to create a balanced life as an entrepreneur for my guest experts and of course, from me. Ready to turn those dreams into a reality? Let's do it. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I am thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. So tell me a little bit about your journey and getting to where you are in your business right now. I'm like, how can I tell this in a short story? I got here. No, because it's a very long, well, A, I don't tell a short story just in general. And this is kind of a long story, but I will tell you this. I, uh, I spent 20 years, which I know is hard to believe because I look so young. Yeah. You must've been in middle school. Uh, it's a podcast so nobody can see me. (laughs) Um, but no, I spent 20 years in the live events space, live event marketing. So I was, uh, I was a concert promoter, right? I was, I had, I helped people learn about the shows that were coming to town and buy the tickets. And I did that for a long, almost two decades. And I loved it. It was like, it was like the coolest job, right? It was one of those jobs that everybody, everybody thinks you're so cool for having it. But as I worked, sort of worked through the industry and worked, the only way you can sort of move up in that industry is to move and so I've lived in Las Vegas and North Carolina and Florida. I was always a do-gooder at heart. Like that's that's what I wanted to do was help people. And it just, there was a big disconnect. And when my grandmother passed away a few years ago, that was the, like, I can't do this anymore. I have to make a switch. And there was a, a big sort of part of that was how I honored my grandmother when she when she passed away. And but it was just, it was time for me to, to have a, a big shift, like close a door and open another door, which meant I'm a, I'm a pretty, uh, normally I'm not the kind of person that just like quits my job and wings it. Like the only thing I like to wing is my eyeliner, but that's where I was. Like, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm done with that chapter. It's a new chapter. And, and so I decided that instead of marketing, I wanted to teach how uh, to market your business for particularly for female micro business owners, for women who are coming out and starting their business and who are terrified because they don't know marketing. Maybe they know they're a coach or they're a consultant or they're a creator. They know their thing, but they don't know marketing. And there's so much bad marketing advice 
that's freely available. And I wanted to cut through that nonsense and really serve people who I feel like are, can make a bigger impact in the world. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I love hearing about people's journeys because I think when you're an entrepreneur, your journey is never a straight line. It's never just kind of (laughs) waking up one morning and deciding like, okay, I'm done with this. Let's move on to this. And so I think, I think, you know, anytime you, you move from one thing to another, you never realize how many of your skills are so transferable. And so I think, you know, from live events, you must've had so many skills in terms of thinking on your feet and being ready for anything and being ready to troubleshoot when things go wrong. And it probably makes for like a very, very interesting life as an entrepreneur. And you're pulling in so many of those skills that you, you know, gathered in those two decades that you were in the live event space. But I will tell you, I do not miss having to wear high heels and walking around an arena for like three hours on a nightly basis. (laughs) I don't miss that at all. That sounds awful. Yeah. When I was a wedding planner, I don't think I ever did heels. Like I just knew I was like, you you know, as the planner, you're on your feet the entire time. And I was like, it's, it's just never going to happen. And it was flat a hundred percent of the time, no matter what the event was. And my knees still hurt at the end of the day. And I was in my twenties. Right. (laughs) So I don't, yeah, I don't, that's amazing. I don't know how you did that. So in your business, I know you help micro business owners and you and I both talk a lot about strategy in our businesses. And I think when you're a business owner, especially when you're starting out, you don't know where to turn. As you were saying, you kind of hear marketing thrown around and maybe you know a little bit about it, but you don't kind of fully understand what you're supposed to do. And it can be very tempting when you're so overwhelmed with everything to just jump right in. Like everyone says I should be on Instagram. I'm just going to jump right in or girl, everyone says that I'm supposed to do lives. Let me just jump right in. So how do you handle that with your clients and why is strategy? Tell me why you think strategy is so important for, for marketing. Well, so when we think about, I, I totally geek out over strategy and, you know, when we look at, and I'm going to, my geek, I'm going to fly my geek flag for a second. Okay. The etymology of the word strategy, right? It's a Greek word that really means to lead an army into battle. And that's what strategy is. Strategy is all about what is the outcome that I'm trying to achieve and let me make the decisions that will help me get to that outcome. And when we break down strategy and look at it that way, like strategy sounds scary and big and you know, like, oh, I need a strategy. No, you just need to know what it is that you want so that you can lay the path to win the war, right? That's what we're all trying to do is win the war. And when you come in and you don't know what the outcome is that you're working towards, when you don't have a clear understanding of who it is that you're trying to reach, when you don't have a clear understanding of what your what's problem you're solving for your ideal customer, then any road will get you there because you don't really know where you're going, right? And so when we really look at strategy, and when I'm working with my clients and we talk specifically about marketing, the different strategies that they're using or promotional strategies, you know, it all comes down to how does the strategy support your goals? Is it a good way to connect with your audience, your target market, your buyer persona, ideal client avatar, whatever you want to call it? Is it a good way? Is it the best way? And then is it within your budget? right? Because if you can answer those questions that can help you, you know, Isabel, you know this, um, and I don't know if everyone, well, marketers know this, but there's not an unlimited amount of marketing strategies, right? There's a handful of them, to be honest. 
well, two handfuls, right? There's like about eight or nine strategies that you can use to market your business. Some are free, some cost money. Everything costs either money or time. So it really comes down to which are the which are going to help you support your goal, which is going to be the most likely to resonate with the person you want to resonate with. Is it in your budget? And then honestly too, and we forget about this sometimes, I'm guilty of this. You're probably guilty of this. Is it something, is it a strategy that I enjoy? Yes. Right. Because if I'm telling someone the best way, if they're like, if they determine like the best way to, to reach their goals is to blog, but they hate writing, then they're not going to do it. So it's even if it checks all the other boxes, if they don't enjoy it, it's not a good strategy for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is, that is a hundred percent. And I am absolutely guilty of that early on in my business. I think you know, you get so infiltrated when you first go out on your own with so many different things. And, you know, even I have a background in social media strategy and I still would see someone say something and be like, oh, should I jump on that bandwagon or jump on that bandwagon? And I think for a lot of new business owners, that's what you're doing. And you kind of are testing the waters and you're following this advice over here one week. And then the next week you're pivoting and following different advice. So I think part of, you know, what I always tell my clients, and I'm sure you say the same thing to yours as part of a strategy is knowing who you're speaking to and people tend to want to speak to everyone, to appeal to everyone. And as time goes on, business owners start to find the clients that they like working with or the clients that can, you know, afford their service or work best with their service. And they kind of end up niching down. But when you're starting with a new client and you're working with them and they feel like they want to talk to everyone, what is the advice that you give them for really narrowing in on that target market so that they can then develop that strategy? Yeah. So one of the first things we do is um, I ask them who drives them crazy, right? Let's, let's, let's find what are the characteristics of who you don't want to work with because they think they want to work with everyone, right? I think I want to work with everyone because you know what? Everybody's money is green. As long as there's money, as long as their money is green, I want to work with them. No, that's actually not the case. And there are people that will literally suck the life out of you and make you start to resent your business and, you know, not enjoy your business. And a lot of times it's easier to say, what don't you want than it is to say, okay, who really is it that you want? When you really start narrowing down by getting clear on what the things are that you don't want. Yeah, I love that. I that's totally flipping it on its head. I've never heard anyone say that before. I feel like ah. <laughs> I feel like you always hear about people kind of talking about like, well, who makes you the most money? Or like think of your favorite client and Ugh. what were they and how do you kind of work with them? And so I think naturally we tend to almost have those people stick in our mind who were kind of, you know, PETA clients, pain in the ass clients. Yeah. And so I think it's a really interesting way of approaching it, of just thinking of those pain in the ass clients and then being like, what can we do to avoid those hundred percent right, in right. the future? And what can we, how can we extrapolate from that data, right? That this is how we know that this isn't the person for us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know you talked about, you know, there being kind of a handful or two handfuls of different marketing strategies and you tend to work with micro business owners. Are there certain things within marketing strategies that you always recommend to everyone or certain things that, you know, you kind of tend to recommend to a large group or is it really dependent on the types of clients that people are trying to reach? So it is, I mean, it is somewhat dependent, but I do always recommend sort of my favorite strategies are content marketing, which is for those who don't know, really, that's any sort of content that you're providing. So that could be blogging, which would include SEO. I don't want to go too deep in the woods here or deep in the weeds here, 
but content marketing, because that gives you an opportunity to showcase your value and showcase your expertise. Email, because as much as we all love unpaid social media, right? If, if I'm promoting, if I'm trying to do everything on a specific platform, I'm asking that platform to communicate with my client, right? So instead of me saying, hey, Isabel, do you want to do this? I'm asking a platform to tell you versus email is just me sending you an email and being like, yo, what's up? Um, so email, I love. And then personally, if they're down for it, and I know it's not for everybody, uh, online video. I love video so much for small business owners because it's, there really is no, there's no barrier to entry. Like anybody can do video at this, at this point where we are in technology, your iPhone can make a video for you, right? Like you, it doesn't have to be fancy schmancy um, setup. And it lets people see who you are, like the real you. There is no hiding behind video. Like, and it's those quirks and those maybe your own perceived flaws are what endears you to people, right? When they see that, yes, you're a, you know, you're a a website strategist, you're a marketing coach, but you also wear graphic tees or you also, you know, have big hair, whatever it is, like, or you say, random things. You never know what's going to come out of her mouth. Like that's where people have that connection. And when we're talking about, you know, all business is done between people. Like we forget that sometimes, but business really is done. Sales is done between two human beings. Even if it's done through technology, it's still, it's still a a very human interaction. Right. And particularly if you're, you know, for me, for you, we serve business owners for people who are doing their customers are human beings because as a human being on the other side of that credit card somewhere, right? That's how they get to know you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I I do think it's funny that you say anyone, like there's no barrier to entry to video because I do have to admit that I, I have a background in social media strategy from my agency days and then kind of tend to avoid it at all costs because of you know PTSD from those days. <laughs> and I spent almost an hour Googling how to get text on a reel on Instagram and felt like I was about <laughs> 95 years old. So like I, the, the barrier to entry on the video itself was totally <laughs> fine. But then trying to add all of these like bells and whistles and right. different things when I had like not used Instagram stories in a year and a half was... It was a very humbling experience. And it all changes so fast. So fast. It all changes. I mean, all the all the platforms, they're changing stuff. You know, I, I think that's probably why. Well, that's why I won't teach on like platforms. Like I'm not going to teach you how to do something on Facebook or Instagram because right. they're going to change it. <laughs> they're probably going to change it in three months, right? <laughs> like I'm not going to do a video course because it will change. It will change too much for me to, for that to be uh, sort of evergreen content. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And so when you have a client, you know, I know when a lot of people start their business, one of the things that you don't realize, or maybe one of the things that I didn't really realize was that you really are the face of the business. It's very kind of hard to, to run your business and get clients without really putting yourself out there. So when you're working with a client and you're telling them about these strategies and Obviously, a lot of these strategies are, you know, kind of put yourself out there, put yourself on video. When you have a client who's especially a solopreneur and is a little bit hesitant to do that, how do you kind of encourage them and and work with them in order to be more comfortable to put themselves out there? A lot of times people feel like, and women in particular, I find this, but I work mostly with women. So maybe men feel the same way, but women tend to think that they have a 
confidence problem and they don't have a confidence problem. They have a comparison problem. I love that. Right. It's, it's, it's really about, I can't be as good as she is, or what I'm seeing around me is making me feel like I'm not up to par, but you're always, you know, there's someone who's looking up to you feeling the same way, right? There's someone who's like, gosh, I wish I was as brave as this other person, or I wish I was as funny or whatever it is. And so really sort of recognizing that, you know, it's, and this is talking about just general confidence that you're not going to die from doing it. Like, you know, assuming there's no, like you're high, you're in witness protection. I don't know if you're in witness protection, maybe you shouldn't go live. I don't really know. But assuming that you know, you're not like trying to hide right. your identity, you don't have to go, like when I talk about video, you don't have to go live. You can pre-record and then use that on your, whatever, whatever channel you're using for video. Personally, I like, I think live is easier because when I record things, I don't want to make mistakes, but when I'm live, I just say whatever comes out and people are like, yep, she's tripping over her words. That's how she does. (laughs) But you, there's, there's a little bit of like, when it's recorded, you expect it to be a little more polished, but it's, it's really just focusing on who you're trying to serve and remembering that you are called to serve someone. And this is how they find out how, how you can help them, how you can serve them, how you can solve their problems. But Isabel, I think one of the biggest things that I, I really sort of pound into my clients' heads is that when you're starting, it's so easy for someone to look around and say, okay, she's on, she's got a blog and she's got a YouTube channel and she's got an email and she's on Instagram and she's on Pinterest and she's on. And so I've got to go do all these things. Go do one thing, one thing only, like start with one. Once that's working for you and you understand and you have a strategy and you're implementing it, then you can add on. And I think when we start to take away, you know, no one expects you to be on 15 social media channels right now, just go get good at one and get a process there and get that sort of, you know, running the more it's like repetition, the more you do it, the easier it gets, the more you're planning, the easier it gets. And then you can add on later. And I think that eliminates a lot of the overwhelm, Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily eliminate the FOMO. Right. Yeah. I love that though. I think, I think that's something that's so important, especially for new entrepreneurs is I think, you know, you, as we were saying earlier, you get so overwhelmed and you kind of want to do all the things and it can be very tempting and distracting and you're constantly bouncing back and forth. So I think that's really good advice to just kind of stay focused on one thing. And I know you talk a lot about in your program, which is, which is very impressive. I think that you can do all of this in five hours a week. So, you know, we're all so busy. We're all very overwhelmed. We think this is going to take us hours and hours each day. And this is kind of, you know, a five hour chunk one day a week or an hour a day. Tell me a little bit about that. And I'm going to use this podcast as an example, if I may. Yeah, absolutely. This episode. Okay. So the reason that I'm, I'm sort of focused on, you know, spending about five hours a week on marketing is because Marketing is so broad that you could literally spend 40 hours a week. Well, I know because that was my job before, right? It was all I did was marketing. You can, as an, as a uh, micro business owner, entrepreneur, you literally can spend all your time on marketing. The problem is if you are, you know, if you truly are a solopreneur, then there's no time to do anything else. When are you creating? When are you like, when, if you're a, you know, if you make something, when are you creating it? If you are a coach, when are you actually coaching clients? Like, you have to have time to not only sell your product, but then be the fulfillment arm as well. 
So if you can say, okay, you know what, I'm going to carve out five hours a week and all my marketing is going to happen there, then that frees you up time to work on other elements of your business, which if you all you do is market, you can't sell, you can't fulfill, you ain't going to make money. Like you are in business to make money. Right? So, but so the reason that I look at or the way that I, I approach this um, spending five hours a week and how you can actually do that is by being very intentional with the content that you're creating and looking at all the ways that you can repurpose it and get the most mileage out of it. So like when we look at this podcast that we're doing today, you and I are recording this podcast, so it will be a podcast. It will also be available on YouTube. So that's now two points, okay? You could potentially take the transcript and turn that into a blog post. So now that's three points. You could, I'm sure one of us will say something utterly witty and brilliant, which could become a graphic that you can use on social media. That's now four. So as you're building this out, this one interview that takes us an hour to do, you can potentially get you know, 15 pieces of content out of it that now you're plugging into your calendar, right? And you've done five hours this week as we do the interview, you edit, you do whatever, and then you make the pieces and now you're done. Right. And now that's content. So it's really looking at how you can maximize what you're, what you're doing, but you have to the, maximize the content that you're making, but it only works. And this is Isabel. It only works if you are very clear on who you serve and where you're trying to go with them. And that's a lot of times the disconnect is that if people don't have a clear understanding of what their solution is, right, of what they're, how they present that solution and who they're trying to serve, then it doesn't matter how amazing your content is, it's not going to convert. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's so important. And, you know, we've, we've kind of hammered that home in, in this discussion, but I think, you know, there really isn't kind of too much to talk about this because I really think that those are the people who are not successful in business or the people that are trying to talk to everyone are not clear on who their target audience is. You know, I see a lot with clients that I work with targeting the wrong types of people. You know, they, they hate working with a certain type of person or a certain type of person or an audience, you know, just doesn't have the, the money that they need, but yet they're complaining that they're not making enough money. And it's like, well, then maybe you need to target people that can afford to work with you. So I think that's, that's absolutely so important. And I know in your program as well, you talk a lot about accountability and kind of making sure that you're really showing up for yourself, for your clients. Can you talk to me a little bit about accountability and why it's so important, especially in marketing? Yeah. Accountability is, again, showing my geekiness. But to me, accountability is really, it's, it is like the backbone of your business. And I think that the reason so many people struggle with it, you know, marketing can be so nebulous, right? It's so, I mean, let's just be honest, y'all. I'm going to post on Facebook today. It's not marketing. (laughs) I'm going to scroll the newsfeed. That's not marketing, right? That's the busy work. That's killing time. That's not marketing. And so when we think about, you know, having accountability, particularly with marketing, particularly for someone who owns a small business, it means at the very beginning, you have to know what you, again, what you're working towards, right? Because if you're not holding yourself accountable on the right things, well, then it just, is it even accountable? Like it doesn't even matter. But I think that particularly for people who are coming into, 
business ownership, entrepreneurship out of a, I've always worked for somebody like, right. Working in corporate, being self, being employed, having goals, setting the goals yourself, right. We don't have that luxury when we work for someone else. They say, this is the, this is what I expect you to produce today. This is what, these are the, this is the deadline. And when you're self-employed, you're creating those goals. You're creating those deadlines. Well, if no one else knows about it, is it really a deadline? Is it really a goal? The the um, the goalpost can just move just constantly. Like if I didn't do it today, well, I can do it tomorrow. And so, you know, that's where the accountability comes in. And you're really saying, okay, this is what I want to get done. And this is when I, this is when I aim to get it done. And that's, you know, that's business operations and marketing, but it all starts with like really sort of having that plan of this is what I want to achieve. And this is when I'm going to do it. Um, and then having some, using some tactics to help you stay on track on the journey. Cause it's easy to get off track. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think this brings up a really interesting point around balance too, because I think entrepreneurs, especially, you know, when you have that nine to five job and you during non COVID times, you leave the office, you kind of, you know, get to go home and hopefully for the most part, you're not on your cell phone. You're not on email. You're, you know, eating dinner with your family or whatever it is. And you're kind of free. But I feel like when you're an entrepreneur, and I know I'm very guilty of this, you end up working late into the night or you wake up early on a weekend before your partner's awake and you're like, oh, I'll just fit in some work. And before you know it, it's three in the afternoon and you've worked the entire day. And so I think there needs to be such a careful balance and it's very difficult. And I think we all struggle with this and it's always just kind of a journey versus getting to that destination and being perfect. But you know, you really need to kind of find the balance of holding yourself accountable making sure that you're really, you know, doing the work that you set out to do, obviously getting client work done by deadlines and kind of holding yourself accountable in the sense, if you say you're going to do, for example, five hours of marketing week, you actually do five hours. But I think on the flip side, we have this hustle culture that really glorifies being stressed out and being exhausted. And, you know, you get to kind of wear that badge of courage and honor when you go to, you know, to brunch with your friends and you're like, oh, I worked an 80 hour work week. Mm -hmm. And so I think it can be really difficult to find that balance. And I know you recently, you know, had a journey with hustle culture and, and kind of making, feeling like you had to kind of fit yourself into that. And so I'd love to just talk about that a little bit and hear your story about hustle culture. Absolutely. So I was hustle culture before hustle culture was even a thing. Like I spent my entire career in corporate America priding myself on being the first one in and the last one to leave. And I think part of that comes from having a father who was an entrepreneur and who really was like hard work is the way you get there, but also being a high achieving woman in a male dominated industry like I felt like I had to sort of prove like every day prove my worth. Right. So, you know, I spent my entire career being like first one in last one to leave. And when I started working for myself, being self-employed, well, I mean, I'm the only one here and the only one to leave and really just maintained that same sort of strict at my desk early in the morning. Don't leave until my husband comes home, constantly thinking, constantly working, hadn't taken a vacation, hadn't taken any time off in two years, just really threw everything that I had into my business because I really want to be successful, right? I didn't start my business to not be successful. And so I hustled, girl, I hustled. 
I hustled myself into a nervous breakdown is what happened. Uh, now I should, I say nervous breakdown. I, and I certainly don't, I don't know if I technically, like, I don't really, I don't want to be offensive to anybody like with a mental health thing, but I really was like, um, ended up in therapy, ended up medicated and like, couldn't, I couldn't function. I just couldn't do anything. And it really took some people that cared about me to say, you know what, like, you're not okay. We see that you're not okay. And we're going to hold, we're going to hold everything up for you while you take a little bit of time off and, and get well. And so that's what I did, but it was, it was so eye opening to me because I started having panic attacks and I had, I had one panic attack when I was in college, when my like longtime college boyfriend broke up with me. So that was like, you know, I was like 30 years ago. Like I had a panic attack. Luckily when I started having them in the, within the last year, I knew what they were. So I didn't think I was having a heart attack, but I was not someone who ever was like struggled with anxiety or depression. So it was just, when it came, it like came hard. And I know now that my body was trying to tell me for a long time, like, you've got to slow down. You've got to, but I just pushed through because that's what I do. Right. That's, that's, that's who I am at my core. I'm a hard worker and yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. Right. So now I, I truly listen to my body and um, I've taken some time off scheduled vacation. Like I've already looked at my calendar. I'm like out of the office half of next month, but it really is understanding. And I think this is, I I think one of the biggest takeaways for me, and I've said this before, but it has like a whole new layer of meaning now, you know, if you're not whole as a human, you can't be whole in your business, right? So who you, I always just tell people who you are in life is who you are in business. So if you're a shady person in real life, then you can be shady in business. But if you're not whole in, in your personal life, you can't, your business isn't going to be whole and it's going to suffer. And so it was really taking, it took a big wake up for me to say, oh, wow, this is not sustainable. Like this is not okay. Since I had that sort of, reckoning with my brain and my body every day. Now, when I come into my office, I make a list of three things that are my top priority for the day, which I've always done. I've always done like, I'm do always do my top three, but I look before I do anything, I say, what am I going to do for myself today? Like, what am I going to do to nourish myself? What am I going to do for love? And love could be my husband, you know, it could be like doing a load of his laundry or I don't know, making a dinner that he likes, or it could be calling a friend or it's just something that's love-based, right? And then the third thing is, what am I going to do for money? And money is the third priority. Self is first, then love, then money. And that's how I've started to structure sort of how I look at my time and look at my priorities. But it always comes to like, I have to really listen to my body because my brain will lie to me and tell me I'm okay, but my body, it knows what's going on. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, so many entrepreneurs go through that. I think it takes a certain personality to be an entrepreneur and be a successful entrepreneur. And, you know, I always use the word chutzpah. It, it kind of takes this, this chutzpah to essentially be able to push through, through all the rejection, wade through all the bullshit, just kind of keep going, going and going when everyone is telling you you're never going to make it and you need to go back to your nine to five and, you know, why are you putting in all this energy and effort? And so I think 
it can be hard when you're kind of pressing the gas all the way to the floor for the first few years that you're getting, you know, your your startup or your business or whatever it is kind of off the ground. And then before you know it, you've been putting the pedal to the floor for three, four, five, six years, haven't yeah. taken a vacation, you know, haven't really stopped to think about putting yourself first or putting love first, you know? And so I think, I think that's, that's absolutely amazing. And even, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a few years in and I try whenever I can to kind of take a deep breath. And when I feel myself kind of spinning out of control to really take a step back. And even, you know, even today before this meeting, I was looking at my to-do list, there are like 41 things on it. And it's like, you know, even then I had to kind of manage myself and be like, Isabel, you're not going to get 41 things done. It's two in the afternoon, like stop pick out the, you know, one or two things that are actually, because then you also set yourself up in this kind of negative feedback loop where you set these expectations that are way too high. Then you can't end up meeting those expectations. Yeah. Then you feel bad that you can't meet those expectations. It's so it's just, you're just in this terrible constant loop, whereas you could set yourself up in a totally different way and why not? And why not be kind to ourselves? Yeah. And so, you know, after, after going through what you were going through, you know, obviously you do three things a day and you kind of have these, you know, amazing things of thinking about yourself first, which is incredible. And so many women don't do that, you know, then thinking about love, which I love that that comes before money, but in terms of people who are just feeling, you know, almost at the breaking point, what are some other tips that you have for them and kind of just stopping and taking that deep breath? Yeah. So I think, uh, one of the, one of the biggest sort of breakthroughs and and insights for me is realizing that this is a, this is a long game, right? We're playing the long game and I was treating every single day like that was the last day of the game. Every single play, right? If if we're in a football game, like every single play was do or die. And sometimes you just have to punt the ball or you have to spike the ball, right? Don't know how we just got into a football metaphor, but stick (laughs) with me, right? Sometimes you just have to say, you know what? Like things aren't lining up the way I want them to line up and that's okay. And really realizing And I think the longer you're in business, but this is true in like every aspect of our area, the stuff that feels so overwhelming today probably won't even remember it in like three months. You definitely won't remember it in three years, right? Like think back to when you were, had your first boyfriend in high school, you know, like your first serious boyfriend in high school and you guys had a huge blowout fight. You probably don't today. You don't even remember what it was about, but back then it was like the end of the world. And that's what, like, that's that perspective at that time. And, you know, it do, it just, it doesn't stay with us, but we have to remember that in our business that like literally every single day, the game is not on the line every single day. And so, you know, having some better boundaries, boundaries are something that I struggle with. You know, I work from home so I can work anytime I want. And I think, and I'm, I don't think I'm alone in this. I love what I do. So like coming into my office is fun. Working is fun, right? And so many of us feel that same way, but it's also not healthy, right? I also love cheesecake, but if I ate cheesecake every single meal, I probably would not be healthy. So it's just realizing like these boundaries and and setting up better boundaries. But I don't even remember what your question was. I hope I'm still on track. 
this was such a, I can tell you, this was such a, it was such a pivotal moment in my life, sort of having this, this just like recognizing that everything I was doing was not sustainable and something had to change and not being, and not taking like a life threatening situation, right. That it was just, I mean, I was broken and, and right. I, I, like my brain was broken. I couldn't work, but to realize that it's, you know, by taking some time every day to meditate. And when I say just for the record, okay. When I say I meditate, I literally mean for one minute, I think I've gotten up to like one minute and 15 seconds. I don't know if you meditate. Isabel, do you meditate? I, it is. No, I can't do it. I'm so antsy. It's so hard. It's so hard to like, not think of anything. Like (laughs) What? But, you know, like taking those, take it just like breathing and just being and realizing that you don't always have to be on the racetrack or like on the football field. Like there are times that you have to rest. You just can't you, you can't operate, you can't fully function unless you rest and you take that time to repair, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it's so important. I tried to meditate. It did not go well. I'm very proud of you for being able to do it. I lasted about 25 seconds and then my brain just started swirling like a tornado. But I, I totally agree with you. I think there needs to be something in every day where you just kind of do something that allows your brain a break and allows, you know, kind of everything in your body and all of that, just a nice break to kind of reset and sit with yourself. However, however you do it. Well, and you know, one of the things I started doing in the morning is I would take, so I live in Florida. I would go out onto my lanai cause I'm a golden girl apparently, right? That's just a fancy way of saying a screen in porch, but I would go out on the lanai and I'd have my coffee with me and there's like birds chirping And you know what I was doing? I was on my iPad. I was checking my emails on Facebook. I was on Instagram. And I was like, what would happen if I came out here and just didn't bring a device? And I just sat here. Like, what would happen? So peaceful. Yeah. Now, granted, I lasted about five minutes. (laughs) It's like, but it's just like record, like just being sometimes, right? Just being. There's a lot to be said for just being, man. Totally. Totally. And I think, and I think, you know, it takes training. Like I've, I've actually been trying the same thing with eating. I always eat in front of my phone, eat while reading my Kindle, you know, have lunch while I'm working on, you know, client design or something. And I've really been trying over the past few weeks, whenever I'm eating to like close my computer, put my phone away and just eat the meal and like, you know, pay attention to myself, pay attention to the food and man, you have to train yourself. Like, I feel like after 45 seconds, I don't even notice that I'm back on my phone reading right. email or on Instagram. And then I like realize it after 30 seconds and have to like force myself to like close my phone and put it down again. And so I think just in this culture, you know, where we're so used to being tied to our phone and our attention span has gotten shorter and shorter, it can yeah. be really difficult to kind of just sit quietly with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we're talking a lot about sitting quietly and, you know, not, not having comparison culture and all of this stuff. And I know this is a passionate point for you, but tell me how you deal with your clients in the comparison culture, especially on Instagram, where everyone doing marketing appears like everything is so perfect. And like, they live in a little Cinderella world where their whole business is making a million dollars after six weeks of just 
you know, speaking to the right client? How do you, how do you kind of handle when your clients say, you know, oh, but this person is, is doing what I would like to be doing and they're super successful. Hold on. Let me stop rolling my eyes just for one <laughs> second. Instagram is, is such a weird, it's a weird space. And I think it's so much of, of what everybody's feeds are so different based on what you're looking for. And so, and what you're liking and what you're interacting with. And so I always tell my clients, like, step away from what you're doing and go look for something a little bit different because the message that you see is going to be completely different. But I really liken, um, and specifically, uh, particularly Instagram to being in a, like flirting with your, uh, flirting with your college boyfriend. And I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> so I had a friend in college and she smoked cigarettes because who didn't smoke cigarettes in college, right? And drink cheap beer. This is what you did. So she smoked cigarettes and she was dating a boy and uh, he didn't know she smoked. And I was like, dude, like at some point, are you going to like, it's things are starting to get serious. You have a couple options here. Either you're going to have to quit smoking or you're going to have to tell him, like, what are you going to do? You're like getting ready to go with his parents for the weekend. And like, you're like a full on smoker. Like, what are you going to do? And I think a lot of times when we look at particularly Instagram, it's that same sort of thing, right? People are being non-smokers on Instagram, but really what you're doing in your marketing is you're flirting. You're trying to attract your potential mate. You want to go to, you want to go to their parents' house, right? See if you guys are going to do business. And you can't do that if you're always trying to be someone that you're not, right? So it's easier to just be who you are. Yes, be somewhat aspirational, right? If that's what you want to be, but don't be so completely fake that it's overwhelming and it wears you out to try to continue to be that because it's going to hurt you in the long run. Right. Absolutely. And I think, I think what's so interesting too, of what you just said is you know, like that, like that girl in college who you were friends with, it's like, eventually people are going to find you out. And right. reputation is kind of so important. Like, you know, when you, I always talk with my clients about the no like, and trust factors and the minute yeah. that you've lied to someone blatantly, or you've pretended to be something that's a complete 180 from who you are, you lose those no like, and trust factors. So either you're going to start losing a ton of clients, or as you said, you're going to have to keep up this fake life for ever basically, which is exhausting. It's exhausting. It is so exhausting. And you know, Isabel, it's so interesting because we've seen in the last two years, probably longer than that, but we've seen some really big names sort of show a different side of themselves and the backlash that has, has come from that. And you think like, is it worth it, right? If you were just yourself from the beginning, you would have, you could have avoided all this. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a firm believer. You know, if you go look for me on Instagram, you're going to see pictures. Yes. You'll see pretty pictures of me, but you're also going to see plenty of pictures of me with like a chip clip holding my hair back um, and like sweaty and gross after like, because that's who I am. Right. And if you're working with me, that's what you're going to get. Yes, I might know all the answers on some things and some things I might be like, yo, that's a really good question. Let me go do some research and get back to you. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I'm a human. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think authenticity in marketing is is so important. And I 
you know, I don't, I'm kind of, I don't do a ton on social, um, again, PTSD, but (laughs) you know, in the things that I do do, I really try to kind of just, just show that because I think, you know, when you think about the people that you're attracted to, you know, not romantically, but in terms of like working with them, it's always the wackadoos or the ones where you're like, oh my God, they're hysterical. Like, you know, every picture is them with their cat in pajamas, you know, hiding under the bed, whatever. Um, but you're, you know, people are kind of attracted to, to, you know, we have such varied interests and people are attracted to so many different things that if you just show off whatever your personality is quirks and all, then you're always going to kind of find that audience that is attracted to you. You know, I, going back to your original question from like five minutes ago that I, I don't know if I answered or not, but (laughs) think about, do you want to be one of many or do you want to stand out? Right. And when you're trying to look like everyone else, then you just blend in when you're using the same message that they're using, like you just blend in versus, you know, finding out and really highlighting what makes you so freaking awesome because Isabel, I know everybody listening to your podcast is so freaking awesome. They just are so awesome. So it's just really recognizing their own sort of awesomeness and embracing it and, you know, showing up with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so on that note, as we come to a close, I I ask all of my guests this, I would love to know if you could go back when you were starting your business and give yourself one piece of advice that you didn't know at that time that you feel like would have really helped you on your journey. What would that be? Um, It would be fail small often. Oh, I like that. Because fail, you're going to fail. Yes. Right. You're going to have an idea. That's not going to go the way you want. You're going to have a launch. It's not going to go the way you want. You're going to have a product. that's not going to go the way you want. Like failure is inevitable. It's going to happen. The more you do it in small doses, it's you're like getting a callus, right? Where now I mean, at this point in my career, like I could fail on a pretty big scale and still be like, well, it wasn't fatal. <laughs> like, all right, let's cross that off the list of that. Didn't work. That launch didn't work. That product's no good right? That's not what they, that's not what the people want. And, but it takes doing it. It takes having, having those, those tiny failures and realizing, okay, that's just a way that that doesn't work. Let me go back to the drawing board. It gives you courage to keep going forward, but it also kind of takes the sting out of it a little bit. Totally. Yeah. No, I think, I think oftentimes fear of doing something is scarier than like actually just failing at it. It's like, you're almost more afraid of what could be rather than what actually happens. And I think too, like my failures are the things that I learned the most from like, right. Right. It wasn't the most fun to be like, okay, that didn't go a hundred percent as planned, but you learn so much. And I think as long as you sit down and are like, okay, that fucked up. Like, how do we make that not fuck up in the future? Then you're really just learning something from it. And, you know, you said something that was so powerful and I want to circle back on that. You know, you said, sometimes people are, they're so afraid that they won't even start, right? They're so Mm -hmm. afraid of the failure. And when you think about before you actually take that first step, it's a magical place where you could still be successful. Like everything's still possible. And it's only when you start moving forward that you have the potential for things to go wrong. And I think that's why people a lot of times get stuck and they are not willing to take the step is because it's, it's that you're in that magical land where everything's possible. Right. Right. Love that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's super insightful. So tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can work with you. Love it. Thank you for that. Uh, You can find me everywhere, literally everywhere 
at Coach Wendy Lawson. Now, it's Wendy, W-I-N-D-Y. It's not short for anything. My parents were hippies, but it's Coach <laughs> Wendy Lawson. Uh, my website's WendyLawson.com, but on all the social places that you could ever want to be, I'm at Coach Wendy Lawson. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This was so much fun. I always love our conversations together. I do too. Isabel, thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast with yours truly, Isabel Caitlin. If you love the show, I would appreciate it if you could leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I love hearing from all of you. Share it with a friend, family, colleague, or anyone you know who may benefit from this episode. Remember, you can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over at stripedogcreative.com. All right, that's it for today. See you next time.